Psalm 38 is on page 565 of the Church Bibles, if you find a page easier to look at than a screen. So it's Psalm 38, a Psalm of David, a petition. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Your arrows have pierced me and your hand has come down on me. Because of your wrath, there is no health in my body. There is no soundness in my bones because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There is no health in my body. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. All my longings lie open before you, Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pounds. My strength fails me. Even the light has gone from my eyes. My friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds, and my neighbours stay far away. Those who want to kill me set their traps. Those who would harm me talk of my ruin. All day long they scheme and lie. I am like the deaf who cannot hear, like the mute who cannot speak. I have become like one who does not hear, whose mouth can offer no reply. Lord, I wait for you. You will answer, Lord my God. For I said, do not let them gloat or exalt themselves over me when my feet slip. For I am about to fall and my pain is ever with me. I confess my iniquity. I am troubled by my sin. Many have become my enemies without cause. Those who hate me without reason are numerous. Those who repay my good with evil lodge accusations against me, though I seek only to do what is good. Lord, do not forsake me. Do not be far from me, my God. Come quickly to help me, my Lord and my Saviour. Lovely congregation who found great amusement in the fact that a Tottenham supporter is preaching on blessed are those who mourn this morning. Um, so I, I think that is a lovely gesture and I love you to bits. Thank you for that, Rod James. You ought not to be a church warden, sir. No, no, I don't mean that. I don't mean that at all. Um, but I, I have a lot of grief this morning, a lot of grief. I can cope. I can cope. It's okay. Um, and I think after that I ought to pray, don't you? So let's pray. Let's pray. Father, please speak to us through your word. Teach us what you want us to know. Help us to obey. Help us to follow. Help us to do the things that your word says. And help me not to get in the way of what you want to say to your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm sure Kevin would not have picked a psalm like that uh, to start. It's not exactly a bundle of joy, is it? it? It really isn't. It's a hard piece of scripture. Um, but it's one that we can't ignore. Anyone who says you can ignore it is playing pick and mix with the Bible. You can't do that. So we have to look at it. We have to see what it has to say. Um, and in fact, there are more psalms like that than there are of the praise variety. If you study the Psalter clearly, the 150 psalms, uh, there's many, many more in that sort of mode, in that sort of way of thinking, 
which are not praise psalms. So the Psalter is a, is a big reflection. Now, you know that we're in the Beatitudes, the statements of Jesus where his disciples can find blessing. That's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are those who. Uh, and that's where we are on this second one this morning. Uh, and notice in verse 1 of chapter 5 of Matthew, then this is where the disciples go away. Uh, it's not the crowds that are here. It's just the small group of Jesus' disciples. And they go away and, and they're listening to what he has to say to them about the way he wants the kingdom of heaven that he's been talking about to proceed. And the Beatitudes are in the context of this idea of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom where Jesus is king. His disciples are subjects of the king. So he's teaching his closest disciples, this is the agenda. This is what I want you to be about. This is where I want you to be going. This is what I want you to be thinking about. This is the way I want you to behave. And he's taking them away and saying, okay, guys, listen to all this. Let's get this right together, and then we can go out. And the kingdom, of course, is not about, you know this perfectly well, military power or political influence or ter territorial conquest. It's not about that. It's about where Jesus is king in the hearts of his people. That's where the kingdom is. Last week we saw poor in spirit, and theirs is the kingdom. That idea was first put to you last week. This week, blessed are those who mourn. Literally, blessed are those who experience deep grief. It's literally what the word means. It's hardly the stuff, is it, of mighty kingdoms. And Israel, over the previous thousand years of its existence, has had to go through quite a few kingdoms. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece. And now they're under the Roman yoke. So they know all about kingdoms. And you can't be surprised, really, that, that what the Jews wanted was uh, a kingdom that would release them from this bondage uh, under the Roman rule. And God's answer is poor in spirit and mourning. At this point, you would be forgiven if you said, you've got to be joking. Surely not. Surely that's not what we need at this moment. We need a conqueror. We need to deliver. And when you read, blessed are those who mourn, you may say, well, of course they are. How could God not bless those who've lost a loved one? Well, we must look at a much wider picture than that. Of course that's true. Of course God brings comfort to those of you, me, who have lost loved ones. That's absolutely right. But we must look at something bigger. And mourning is often coupled with weeping in the Bible. Those who mourn will weep. James, writing in chapter 4, verse 9 of his epistle, says, Grieve and mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now listen to this. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. And that begins to get us closer to the idea of the way in which mourning is meant to be defined and dealt with by us. 2 Corinthians 7.10, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. We're not here to sort of weep and moan about the state of the world, even this morning. As much as I do, and I'm sure you do, 
when you look at what's going on in the world, it grieves you. It makes you mourn for what people are saying and doing. But elsewhere, mourning is not about that. One commentator said, it is the sorrow that flows out in the tears that cleanse. What is this about? You see, it's not about mourning a football team. It's certainly not about mourning, actually, the state of the world. It's about me. And and this, my friends, I warn you, is where it can get tough. It's about looking in the mirror. It's about me. And what sin, you may not like the word, but the Bible uses it regularly, so I'm going to. It's what sin does. And what it's done to me. Sin has made me less than what God would like me to be. I am a sinner. I sin on a regular daily basis. And so do you. Now, at this point, there's a sort of health warning that we will get to the comfort at the end, but hang in there with me for a bit, okay? Because we've got to get there. And when Jesus talked about the poor in spirit in the, in the one, he wasn't just sort of humbly accepting that we can face God and all is well. It's, 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 that's not how we should be. We're, we're not the Monty Python always look on the bright side of life people. We're not like that. We look at ourselves and we are humble in our own eyes. We see the need of a savior. Uh, we, we see something outside of ourselves that's missing. And, and therefore we look at our sinful state and we mourn. Am I the only one in this room this morning that's looked at some of the things I've done, said, shouldn't have done, or just the plain state of what I'm like and not think I need help? Because I think that's true for all of us. Now, some people don't like talking about sin, but it's graphically described in the Bible from the very minute it comes into the world in Genesis 3 right through to the end when sin is finally defeated. It it runs through, and and it's the history of Israel. It's something that constantly comes up, and it, it, oh, the the people have sinned again, and God has to do something to bring them, to redeem them, to help them, to save them. So, my friends, mourning is what God wants us to do. He wants us to realize who we truly are, Sinners standing before a holy God. And we saw that graphically in Psalm 38. It's not the first time, is it, that David's come to God in deep repentance with a heart that's heavy and burdened. And Friends, we, we've got to face this idea because it, it worries me so much that Christianity sometimes is all, yeah, as long as we're having a great time and it's all nice and fluffy and gorgeous, it isn't like that all the time, is it? It simply isn't. Sin can bite, and we need to know how to deal with it. Now, just a quick look at Psalm 38, and then we'll get to the comfort, all right? So hang in there. In verse 1, the author, David, is aware that God knows him. Look at it. The Lord, O Lord, he speaks to him. He knows that God is there. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger. He's begging God not to rebuke him or to be angry with him. In verse 2, it's graphic. It's as if God has pierced his body with arrows. Can you imagine what that's like? 
You stood there and God is going, ah, God is doing that. And his mind and body are in torture. Just be sure when you get home. I'm not making this stuff up. It's, it's there in the scriptures. And David, the writer, is mourning his own state. He knows what he's really like and how painful it is for us to face that reality that sin has made us into people who do not please God all the time. He wants us to mourn our sin. And yet there's something here even at the beginning. There's two words there, rebuke and discipline, in the first two verses. And those two words are about changing. Discipline is the same root word as disciple. And discipline is something that shapes. I discipline my children, uh, hopefully fairly and lovingly and tenderly, most of the time. Uh, But I did because I love them. Not because I hate them. And even there, right at the beginning of David's anguish, he, he's conscious that the, the Lord is, is going to discipline, he's going to change him, he's going to put him in a different place to the place he's in now. He's going to rebuke him, he's going to tell him off. And that's all right. Don't run off. I'd rather be rebuked by God than any of you. I really would. Because God will rebuke justly. And he'll say, Dave Fenton, you need to do something about that. You really do. And I am not too young anymore. And so I've had a lot of rebukes. Some of you may not have had too many because you're so wonderful. And I'm talking a load of utter rubbish because you've all been there, haven't you? God has said, cut it out. Cut out that stuff you're doing on the computer. Cut out that temptation to unfaithfulness. Cut out that bitter tongue. Cut out that and that and that. And you know what I'm saying. I'm not going to point a finger at you and say, you, you, you. I did just then, didn't I? But there you go. Uh, But I'm going to say, yeah, come on. Let's, Let's look at ourselves and say, what is it that God wants to shape? And if God wants to shape it, I'm happy he shapes it and nobody else does. Aren't you? And he goes on, he says, there's no health in my body, my bones have no soundness. He's overwhelmed by guilt in verse 4. Verse 7, he's got searing back pain. Some of you know about that. Verse 8, he feels feeble and utterly crushed. And yet, tucked in verse 6, you'll see there, there's the little word mourning. There it is. All day long, I go about mourning. So he has got to a place where with all this seemingly to to be coming on top of him and and feeling the guilt of sin in his heart has begun something where he says I've got to do this with God And, and the lovely thing at the end of this psalm is he knows exactly where to turn look at it verse 21 oh Lord do not forsake me You see, if you're in the place, and I hope you are this morning, I really do hope you are, in the place of mourning your state, the sin that you've committed, the state that you're in, and and you're longing for for that clean cleaning and cleansing, and oh, oh Lord, you desperately want that to happen. Then you go to him, oh Lord, 
Do not forsake me. Be not far from me, Lord. Come close to me, Lord. Come quickly. Come now. Please, I need you. Now that is a very, very biblical state to be in. We don't hide this stuff. We face it. Only a few years ago, you'll not believe this, and I I don't think she's here. She's coming at 11.15, I think. Uh, She'll kill me for mentioning this, but I'm going to anyway. My wife jumped off a bridge in New Zealand. Now, I hasten to add, um, she was assisted in some way. Um, She has a certificate to prove it. Uh, I saw her do it. I took a lot of pictures of a flying wife in a lovely sort of gymnastic sort of floating position as she jumped 45 meters above a river in New Zealand. She did have a piece of elastic attached to her ankles at the time. Now, I have no idea what that feels like. I took pictures, but I have absolutely no idea what it feels like to stand on the ledge of a bridge 45 meters above a river and leap off it. I'm not sure I particularly want to know what that feels like, but she did, so she did it. That's a silly example, folks, but we we will not experience the comfort of God unless we know about the mourning for sin. She knows what it's like to bungee jump. I don't. Do you know what it's like to mourn the sin in your heart, in your life? Do you? Have you come to that place of repentance? It it comes from the desire to see our sin dealt with, an awareness that that we are nothing without God. And and those who would belong to the kingdom would, would know that Jesus came with good news. What to do? To console those who mourn in Zion. That's Isaiah 61. To give beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning. You see, it doesn't stop. It doesn't want us to go into this permanent state of mourning and think, all right, I'm rubbish. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to mourn. Some Christians quite like that. They quite like staying in the gloaty, mourny territories. Despite our sinfulness, if there is genuine repentance, if there is that mourning for the sin in our lives, there will be the comfort that comes from the God who made the heavens and the earth. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that just amazing? And the comfort is in all tenses. Look at the comfort we have as Christians. We know that God is sovereign in this crazy world that we live in. We know that whatever men and women say and posture when they get on the box and get on the mobile phone as well, if I'm not getting too personal there, uh, we, we know what that's about. But in amongst all that stuff, God is sovereign. That's comfortable, isn't it? It's fantastic. We know that Jesus died to deal with the very problem we're talking about, the sin that's in our lives. We know that that's dealt with. And, and that that's something that will lead from mourning to, to joy. Because my sins are moved as far as the east is from the west, Psalm 103. God can deal with sin. He can block it out, finish it. The wonderful, glorious, beautiful truth is that if only we can get into the place of mourning, if only we can realize our true state, then God can do the comfort thing. 
it, it's a bit like Heather's bungee jump, isn't it? You know, until she experienced it, she didn't know what it was like. She didn't stop talking about it for at least 10, I was going to say 10 years, but that would be really cruel. Um, and we know not only that Jesus died, but we know that his Holy Spirit, yes, will convict us of sin, but will be with us, 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 until death. Comfort from the God who is our Father, from the Son who died, from the Holy Spirit that indwells the heart of the believer, will restore us to the glorious and beautiful relationship that God intends us to have. When I was a very, very young lad, I had a cricket obsession. I think I might have told you this before, but I risk telling it again. Uh, I'd watched England play, and I thought it was only a matter of time when I grew up a bit, the call would come, you know, England needs you. Uh, I, I, was, I was hoping it might do one day, you know, it would come along and I would be there. So, so after I watched England, I, I went to the bottom of my garden. Well, I went that way and not the other way, I don't know. And I, I picked up this ball and I, I ran down the, and I bowled. I was going to say like Joffre Archer, that suits this congregation better than the Fred Truman I used at 8 o'clock. Uh, and I let fly this ball. It went straight through next door's window. <laughs> Clean as a whistle. Now, Mr. Reynolds next door was not the happiest bunny I've ever met. Uh, he was miserable even when it was lovely. You know, he, he just was that sort of guy. He, he almost always felt very unhappy. And he demanded that I get my dad out. And I stood there. Didn't do it. And I could see my dad sort of around and say, well, who else is in the garden, for goodness sake? There's nobody else. Who else could have done it? It must have been you. I said, it wasn't me. And my very wise dad said, Dave, just go to your room and think about it. That's all he said. Go to your room and think about it. And I did. And he came home the next night. He said, you got anything to tell me? I said, nope. Want me. I'm not really obstinate by nature, by the way. I just thought I'd clarify that. Um, the next day, I thought, this is stupid. I said, yes, Dad, it was me. I'm not afraid to admit to you guys this morning that I cried tears of joy. Not because my pocket money was going to be docked for the next however many weeks it was, but because my relationship with my dad had been restored. Do you get it? When that confession happened, and the sin was, as it were, dealt with. And I got my dad's big naval dockyard hand on my shoulder. I said, it's okay. I'm going to take your pocket money still to pay for that window. Don't ever do it again. But there was a hug. Woof. I can feel that today, I tell you. Now, do you get it? The sin had to be dealt with. The sin had to be said sorry for. The guilt that I felt had to be purged. And it was only when I came before my father and said, sorry, Dad, that it was. Kingdom people will mourn their sinfulness. That's you, that's me. It's healthy, it's good, it's what God wants. 
It's how he wants us to behave. It's how he wants us to live. And perhaps this morning is a good opportunity, and we're going to say a sort of corporate prayer this morning. There's not going to be any coming to the front, because I don't want people coming out thinking, ooh, he must be guilty. We'll not have any of that nonsense. But if you feel that you want to join with me in prayer in just a moment, just to come to that place of mourning, then I hope that will be an opportunity. If you want to speak to any of us afterwards, then please feel free. But there is comfort. There is a deepening of relationship. And if you sense in your own Christian walk that it's actually quite shallow and it could do with a bit of depth, this is kingdom theology going deep. If you get this right, you will experience the wonderful comfort that comes when the Father who loves you, the Savior who died and rose again, and the Spirit who lives in you day by day will be an ever-increasing reality. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Let's bow our heads and pray together, shall we? Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning with with sin known to us. Things that we know we've done that we shouldn't have done. Things that are wrong. Things that we need to sort out. And I pray, Lord, now by, by your Holy Spirit that you will touch the hearts of your dear people here. And you will help them to mourn to mourn the sin that's in their lives, the state that they are in, the fact that it's a reality. But I pray too that they will know the wonderful comfort that comes from knowing that there is forgiveness and restoration in the God who made the heavens and the earth and everything in them. Please, Lord, work by your Spirit in the hearts of your people. And if there are those with hardened hearts this morning, as Sarah James reminded us, please soften those hearts. Give them that letting go of self and an awareness that we're all so deeply dependent on God. And do it for your glory, we pray. In his name, amen.